Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig and welcome to this week's episode of the Full 60. February 22nd and February 24th, 2020 mark the anniversary, I gotta just quick math, the 40 year, right? Anniversary of two of the biggest wins in U.S. hockey history. Of course, the 1980 Miracle on Ice, the win over the Russians, and then the corresponding win over Finland for the gold medal, the game that everyone seems to forget as part of that equation. And so I'm really excited that the guest this week is Mike Ruzioni, who of course scored the game-winning goal against the Soviet Union to set up that gold medal game against Finland. And Mike has, which I just finished reading, has a book out called The Making of a Miracle, which he wrote with um, Neil Baudette, who is a uh, hockey writer guy you see around the rinks a lot. And it's a great read, especially if you're a fan of U.S. hockey, if you're a fan of that game, and you want to know more details about Mike's life. And as we get into it, about the, like his family steals the show. It's, it's, his dad sounds like he was incredible. And there's a lot of personalities in there. There's a lot of stories about, um, you know, that if you think you've, you've heard it all about that, that, that win, and there's, there's extra stories about that. Just a, a really fun read, fun, easy read. Um, if you're a fan of hockey in the United States, I would definitely recommend it. So this was a great opportunity to get some time with Mike while he was in Florida, um, tell some stories, and get into some of the stuff about his life and his playing career that um, I didn't know about, about his time in the IHL and playing for a young Jack Parker at BU. Just some really cool conversations. So let's dive right into this conversation with the captain of the Miracle on Ice 1980 Team USA Olympic gold medal Olympic winning team, Mike Eruzioni. So Mike, I'm sitting here reading your book and first of all, it's it's great. So congratulations on that. Uh, you have to be really excited with, oh, with thank you. how it's going. Um, and to me, I mean, there's there's a lot lot of great stories in there. To me, what I loved was getting to know your family and and your dad <laughs> and everybody around. It was incredible. Like it, like that that's its own cast of characters right there. That had to be fun sharing that. It was it was it was fun because when Neil Bodette and I you know sat down to put the whole book together, you know he came in. We spent a lot of time talking to my brothers and sisters and cousins, and I mean everybody had a different story to tell and a funny story to tell. And I mean I left out a bunch of stuff about my dad. <laughs> my dad was a character, and uh, we had to, we picked and choose just a few of them that we could put in there. But you know it was just a great environment to live, uh, grow up in. And, you know, I don't know if you read the part in the book, maybe it's in the acknowledgments, but I wrote the book with Neil for one reason, one reason only. I, I just want my grandkids to know that Papa's life wasn't two weeks in Lake Placid. Right. And I want, want them to know about how I grew up and the house I grew up in and the, and the family that I had. That, you know, they, they, my kids got to know my father very well, not my mother real well. She passed in her 70s. But, um, you know, my grandkids have no idea what, who my father and mother were. And I just thought it was important for them to, when they get old enough to understand it, that they get a sense of how important my family has been and to, to me and, and my brothers and sisters. It, it's funny. I'm, I was reading it, and um, you know, my wife is was sitting a few feet away at one point, and I'm like, you know, we have a, a nice house, and we, you know, we're we're near family, but we're not like living with family. And I'm like, I feel like 
a part of me, I'm like, we're missing something that that this isn't a three story home where the cousins are upstairs and the running around and my kids, whenever they want, can go in the side yard and play football. Like, I like, I don't know. I feel like I'm sure you didn't know it at the time, but like, what a what a cool life, a way to live. Yeah, and and, and it was it was, um, and we're all you know, like I said, very close today. Yeah. Um, you know, every, everybody that grew up in that house, you know, my mother was pregnant, my aunts were pregnant. Uh, so I have cousins my age who have kids the same age as my kids. And I, I don't think this was in the book, but I remember my son's senior year in high school, the starting nine of the baseball team, six of them came out of the three family house. <laughs> That's so, amazing. You know, I, oh my I, I would sit with my brother, my brother and I would sit out in the outfield and I'd go, wow, wow. now we know why everybody hates us. I said, you know, the six of starting nine are relatives. That's that's amazing, and, and I mean, your dad steals the show. I'd love to know what you left out if 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 what we got to see was just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but it was I, I, the 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 story that killed me was you sitting there with betting slips. Can you can you share share that story? <laughs> I, I like I loved that story. Well, my dad my dad used to work uh, at a, at a restaurant. Uh, bar in, in East Boston called Santarpio's and the, the funny thing was my dad used to shine shoes in front of Santarpio's as a kid so he'd been there his whole life Yeah, and we used to go sit there you know we'd go to the place and you know, he'd hang with his buddies on a Saturday or Sunday and there was a tip that the feds were going to raid the place so they had you know a handful of bookies that were always hanging there I remember they gave me their slips their booking slips and put them in my pocket and I sat at the end of the bar you know, the feds came in and they, you know, kind of roused the guys up a little, but uh, they didn't have anything on them. They, you know, I had the bet slip sitting on pocket and they, uh, and they left. And I, I, you know, I, I think I tell it this way in the book. I think I had free pizza and potato chips for a whole year. <laughs> That's great. You bailed them out. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and the other one, it's, it's funny. You, you wrote about the, um, there's a story about the Whiteface Mountain KOA, which killed me because we were there. I, we were in going to um, Burlington, Vermont, and needed a place to stay. And they had these great cabins at the White the the Whiteface Mountain KOA. So I spent a week there and had no idea the history, or, you know, what happened. And and like I, I'm imagining, so I I've covered one Olympics. That was the 2010 Olympics. That was U.S. Canada gold medal game. And and like the you know, kind of the sequestering of the players and kind of keeping everybody separate from family. Um, and here you are a night before hanging out at a campground. I just, I just loved it. Like I loved it. It just seemed like it was, the, uh, you know, a dip, different, but more fun time. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was able to, you know, spend the night before at that point, the biggest game I was ever had played in with my family and, and friends and cousins. And, uh, it was, it was a relaxing night. It was a fun night. And, uh, you know, I guess it, it just you break away from sitting in the village and yeah. you know think about the game the next day. This was a nice way for me to just kind of chill and uh, and and you know have some fun and relax. Yeah, and and like have a few beers before a game. Like I'd be like, I can't imagine now, coach, found out if you guys are at you oh, know, know. <laughs> even, a, <laughs> even a beer. Oh, yeah, your 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 nutritionist would be flipping out. I know <laughs> something we I didn't know. have then. You know, no. something we didn't have. We just, you know, you just, you know, and, and again, that was, you know, obviously a long time ago. And I, you know, I heard yeah. the stories, uh, you know, the Mario Lemieux and Guy Lafleur would be in the locker room, you know, sitting at their stall having a cigarette before a game. So, oh yeah, you know, things, things, things have changed drastically. 
Yeah, they have, and and you know, obviously, maybe for the better, maybe for not, and, and how you you want to look at it. What what struck me, and maybe I was reading it through the lens of of you know, I'm covering the NHL right now in a time where coaches are really under under scrutiny and under fire, and and you had a coach. You, you talked about your football coach, Coach D. Felice, and and. And how hard on you he was. And I'm reading it through the eyes of somebody reading it in 2020 saying, holy cow, if a, my son's in high school, if my son's baseball coach did that to him, you know, we'd have a lawsuit. You know what I mean? Like it would be, it, right. it would be problematic. Yeah. And here you are saying this guy get, got in my face, you know, in a moment where, I, where you, maybe you needed it and is the reason that I was able to keep going. Like what was that moment and, and why was it so important? Well, I think, you know, first of all, that's how coaches coached in that era. Yeah. Um, you know, that, you know, I, I can remember, you know, Coach DeFelice grabbing a guy by the face mask and twisting it and twisting it all, all the way to he was on the ground almost. Um, yeah. And, and, if, and, and if I went home and told my father, then I'd get another beating because my father <laughs> would be mad because I put the coach in a position to, you know, that he had to discipline me. So, I, you know, it, discipline and, 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 um, uh, you know, it was a part of my life growing up in my house. You know, my, my dad yeah. expected you to behave and do the right things and be a, you know, be a good, good teammate, but be a good student and don't talk back to people and respect people. And those, those are things that we handle that way. And if you step out of line, you, 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 you had to pay the, you know, pay the piper, so to speak. But, you know, Jack Parker at Boston University was a demanding coach, but yet yeah, we, we trusted him. We respected him. And, you know, that's, you dealt with it. Now, here's the option. If you don't want to do it, then quit. Well, I ain't quitting. Right. Right. I want to play on the team. I want to be a part of this team. So you get in line and do what you're asked to do and and play that you're supposed to play. Yeah. And, and right, and you just said, like, in different opportunities, it was just like you just dig in and work harder. And, yeah, I, like, I, I guess I struggle with that just because I'm sitting here going – you know, I, I you motivate kids differently now. You motivate players differently now, and you can't you can't do those things. But I just wonder, like maybe the, we, the line. I don't know where the line is supposed to be, and I don't I don't necessarily want my kid's football coach grabbing his face mask and twisting. But I also want a little bit of fear. I think as a parent, I don't know. Yeah, and I and I, I no, I, and I think the great coaches today are able to do that. Um, you know, I, I saw Jack Parker coach forty years at Boston University, and over the years. He changed somewhat. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was friendlier, a little softer, but still he had the discipline and, and the players respected him. And he, he knew, you know, what buttons he could push in what players. And that was, that was Herb as well. You know, yeah. and I think they would be great. You know, I think Herb would be a great coach today because he would, he would coach a little differently because of today's player. But he would also have that discipline and demand that the, place, the players would respect. Yeah. A couple things struck me that I didn't know about your story was just how how close, like none of this came to happening on on a lot of levels, and right down to going to play at BU. Um, what, what what was the first time you met Jack Parker? What was that exchange like, and that kind of got you on that path? Well, I was in, you know I was playing in a summer league game, I, and I was yeah. going to Merrimack College. They were division they were Division two school. Uh, nobody recruited me out of high school. I, I wanted to go to UNH and play football, hockey, and baseball. And uh, unfortunately, the hockey coach you know didn't think I was a Division one player, so I had nowhere to go. So, as I say in the book, I got a call that summer. I played baseball in the summer. I didn't play much hockey. And a friend of mine was looking for a player, and I said I'll play. And I, I went and played in the game. And Jack Parker, who I didn't know who Jack Parker was, uh, right. 
he was refer he was refereeing the game, and then when the game was over, he came up to me and asked me where I was going to school, and I told him, and he told me who, who he was, and uh, he said, we you know we had a kid from Canada that decided not to come, and uh, we have a scholarship. Would you like to come to BU? And at that point, BU was coming up back to back national championships. Mm. Um, we you know, we had some pretty good players, and and not even many Americans at that point on the team. There was only two or three Americans. Most of the guys were. Predominantly, we were all from Toronto. You know, most of the guys were from the Toronto area. So, yeah. long story short, I accepted accepted the scholarship to BU. And you know, if I'd never gone to that summer league game, and never would have been discovered by Jack Parker, I don't think I would have made the Olympic team because coming out of Merrimack, I wouldn't have had the credentials that I did coming out of Boston University. Right. So you're just so having a strange, to be in, a strange yeah. scenario. Yeah. 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 And then but, he gets you know, that job, right? Brooklyn, oh, go ahead. You know, I, yeah, no, he's the assistant coach, and I'm on the I'm on the fourth line. I'm playing a little. We'd only played two or three games at that point. In those years, you didn't play as many games as the colleges do today. And uh, Jack Parker uh, became the head coach because the other head coach got fired at right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I went from you know center in the fourth line to playing left wing on the second or third line and led our team in goal scoring my freshman year. So you know things happen for a reason, and that's why I I always tell people about opportunities. You know. I had an opportunity, but that summer league game, I could have just gone through the motions and just, you know, but I, that, that's not what I was taught as a kid. My dad always said, if you want to play, you're going to play hard and you're going to work hard. Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of helped me in a situation just like that's a perfect example of, of always working hard. Um, yeah. Because if I, like I said, just went and played and just had fun at the summer league game, uh, who knows what Jack would have thought of my game and never would have got the opportunity to play at, you know, at BU. You never know who's watching, right? You just never know. Yeah. 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 And if you're going to play, you got to play hard. You know, I, I, and, 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 you know, it goes back to the family and the, and the house I grew up in, the competitiveness was very much there all the time. You, you're always competing, uh, you know, whether we were playing, you know, we made up games in the backyard and uh, you, you always competed. And I think it just kind of carried over with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So Jack gets that job. So you get Jack – Parker at and, and it's what's fascinating to me because I, I love like talking to people about leadership and coaching and and just what kind of drives people and you have like these two titans in, in hockey coaching and Jack Parker and Herb Brooks what, like what stood out about Jack's approach early on in his career and you got to know him later how he evolved but what stood out early oh, on? yeah I, I, I think the big thing that I noticed was his passion for Boston University yeah. Uh, and how, um, how, what it meant to him to be coach of the Terriers. You know, he played there uh, even to this day. You, you see Jack, he takes great pride in, in, in Boston University hockey. And uh, I think you, you know that as a player right away, how important it was for him, for us to be successful. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think I can't, you, you kind of fed off that. And even, you know, again, we had predominantly until, until my senior year, 90% or 85% of our team were kids from Canada. And yet they came down and, and saw how passionate Jack was about Boston University and winning, and, and that he instilled that uh, in, in some of these guys that didn't know a lot about BU. Some did, but some, you know, it's a great school, a great education, it's a real good league, and it's a good hockey program. But I think when they got down there and, and saw how passionate Jack was, uh, yeah. it pushed them to, to, to be better as well. Yeah, I'm curious, like, how, like, you know the the technique or the strategy he uses for like instilling that. If like I can see it, if you're a Boston kid, sure it's easy to say, okay, I get this. But if you're some kid from you know Chatham, Ontario, 
Like, what do you care about PU? So, you know, it's interesting that that he was able to get that, to transfer that over to those kids. Well, you know, I think that's what made him a great coach. Um, he was he was able to do that. He was able to tell, and, and, and you know, in the locker room and in his talks to the team, in his preparation for games, you could see that passion. And you know, if, if you are a hockey player, you, you you know the one thing you love to have a coach with passion. And uh, and I think you know wherever you were from, you know Canada or United States, you saw that in him right away. And you wanted to be successful because you know you wanted to make your coach happy and you wanted to win. And, and Jack was able to to, to kind of do that. Yeah, and he cared about you too. He didn't. He didn't just care about goals and assists. Jack has had some some really tough situations over his life. You know, Travis Roy, uh, and what happened to Travis, and mm, uh, yeah. and, and he's had some players who have lost. You know, he's had players over the years who have lost children. Uh, and, and Jack's the first guy these guys talk to. You know, he, if I have a problem today and I'm I'm 65 years old, Jack would be the first guy I'd call and say, Hey, wow. coach, I got I got some issues. I need you know whatever it might be. So he's 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 not just a coach, he's your friend and he cares about you and not just the star players. You know, you were, you were a fourth line player. It didn't matter. You played for Jack. Uh, you were part of the team. You were part of the family. And I think, you know, when you play for someone like that, you get that sense right away and it, it makes you want to compete even more and harder for, for him. Mm. That's what a legacy, like what, like to, to have that. I mean, you hear about his winning and you hear about the success you have as a program, but like, that you that he's your first call still is amazing to me. Like that's that's great. Yeah, you know he's been, he's been there. He coached there for forty years, and I still see him at games. Yeah. Um, what I loved was was so you know you got you had such a great career there, and again a different time. You talk about these teams from the West playing these college, these, the, you know, for the national championship and. And it's and it's you know it's not West how we think of it now. It's not like you're playing you know Arizona State. It's Michigan and Minnesota. I was at the Michigan Michigan State game last night, and and just the hatred that you ended up having for those for those teams and the difference of style. It just I I I feel like that I missed that era right where it was you know now those teams don't probably don't feel that way. Yeah, well you know you you you. you you never would play those teams unless you were playing them in the NCAA tournament. You basically stayed in the East and played the Eastern schools. Once in a while, you may go out to, uh, I think Ohio State had a Christmas tournament one year that we played in. Uh, but for the most part, you knew nothing about the West, the West or the Western players. Yeah. Uh, and that now, you know, now you know these these kids that play today, they travel all across the country playing against not only the Western teams, but they probably play against some of these kids in you know All Star games or festivals and things like that. So it's uh, it's a lot different now than it was, like I said, then. Yeah. And and there's so many players playing the game, as you mentioned that, you know, Arizona state and you just look at the growth of hockey in the United States. When I played, you were from Michigan, Minnesota, Massachusetts. And, you know, now you get Austin Matthews out of, you know, Arizona, Clayton Keller out of St. Louis, and, um, you know, players coming out of California, Texas, Arizona, Florida. Uh, you look at the rosters of college hockey teams now. Uh, it's it's amazing where the players are coming from. So the growth of the game has changed drastically. So the rivalries aren't as intense as they were, I think, back in in those days. Do you feel that this part of you? Do you sit there and think, boy, I had a hand in that? That you know, the fact that this country. Um, well, I I don't know. You know, I, I've said before. I think in 1980 we opened the door. Uh, I think we opened the door for college players as well as yeah. Americans. You know, in those years, if you didn't play major junior, even the Canadian kids, if you didn't play major junior, then, you know, you're not going to play in the NHL. 
so I, I think the NHL saw another avenue of players they never really probably looked at like they used to. Yeah. So I think it opened the door for Americans and opened the door for college players. But then the, then the, you know, the Keith Kachuk's, the Chelios's, the LaFontaine's, um, you know, they, they, they knocked the door down right. uh, and said, look, we belong. And now, now, you know, these players have brought it even to another level. When you look at, you know, and again, I'm talking about the American players, yeah. um, you know, the Austin Matthews and some of these kids that play Patrick Kane, what a career he's having. And, and, and there's, there's the young superstars that are there now, Jack Eichel. Um, now I can go on and on and name them, but these players have brought it to a different level. So, you know, when the United States competes in one of the favorites, you know, we, yeah. we expect to medal. We expect to be uh, on, on that podium. Uh, and today's players, you, you probably follow it more than I do. I'm, you know, I'm in Boston. I obviously watch the college game and I, I follow the Bruins and when the playoffs start, that's when I really start following NHL yeah. hockey. But the skill level is absolutely off the charts. Uh, <laughs> it's and, ridiculous. And it's just fun to watch. It's yeah. Yeah, it's, it's And they're all big and strong and fast. And uh, yeah, so, you know, what we put, did in 1980 was maybe created an opportunity, but today's players have brought it to a whole different game. And, you know, we're not, and I've said this many times, we're not, our team's not like the Miami Dolphins. We want to go medal. We want to see the United States on that podium. It's not going to change, you know, what we did in 1980. It'll just show the world that the United States is still arriving in, in the sport of ice hockey. Well, I'm glad to hear that you guys are cracking champagne when the U.S. gets eliminated from an Olympic tournament. That's that's comforting <laughs> to me. <laughs> no, no, I'd I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. I'm waiting, especially with the, I, you know, I hope the NHL players get back into the Olympic Games, and uh, you know, it, it would be awesome to see, you know. A, a, a team of Americans and probably a bunch of Boston University kids when you think of the players that we have in the NHL right now. Yeah. Uh, that would be awesome to see that. It would be it would be awesome and it would be great. Do you have, not to get sidetracked, do you have any theories in why the Americans, because like you said, the talent level is as high as it's ever been. Uh, and it's been that trending that way for a while. And still, you know, as a country, we still talk about 1980. That's our last Olympic gold medal as a country. Any theories in what why that's been the case? I think it just I, I, I think I think it just tells you how hard it is to win. Yeah. Um, and, and and I think the other countries um, are, are probably a lot better now as well. Not only is the United States growing, you know, Canada's always going to have great players, but Sweden and Finland. And you look at the World Juniors. Um, you know, countries like Switzerland now, you know, are hard to play against. You know, the Soviets are no longer one country, but there's still some pretty good players that they put out on the ice. So. I think the growth of the sport, you know, around the world just tells you how hard it is to win a tournament. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just to get to the medal round is, and, you know, it, and that's what struck me about, about, you know, reading, cause you know, we, we, we remember the highlights of your success there, but just the, how challenging it was early on in that tournament for you guys, you, you know, having to beat Sweden and the late goal, like you said, like the biggest goal may not have, in that whole tournament may not have been yours for you guys. Right. And, and, you know, that, and that's the funny thing, I guess we, we talk about it, obviously when I do media requests is people yeah. think we only played one game, you know, just the Soviets. And, <laughs> right. you know, they don't, they don't, they don't know if we lost, if we lost our tied Sunday against Finland, we could have won come in fourth place. And so as great as the Soviet victory was, you know, we still had to win on Sunday. Right. I know that that's, that gets lost. All right, I want to back up for a second though, because you had a time in the the old IHL playing in Toledo, 
And I would love to know what it was like to play in that league as a skill guy, right? Like, I, I think of that league, and I think of these, you know, whatever, bruisers, but holy oh, cow. We had – the first year was crazy. I mean, the first year, especially coming from Boston University, and we had, a, we had a tough team. I mean, I think probably the toughest team in the league, which kind of helped someone like myself who's not going to go out there and fight. I, mean, I think I maybe only had two or three fights the whole year. And that's because yeah. Ted Garvin you know, made, told me to fight somebody. Um, right. But, you know, we, we had tough players, and it was just so different. Um, you, you know, there, were, there wasn't a lot of practices where, you know, the coach would be out there, you know, running you through drills and stuff. Not like, it, again, like at BU. I mean, you were basically you know, playing games every few nights, and there wasn't a lot of teaching. You just went out and played. Um, but the second year, they changed. The second year, they got back to more skilled players and better players. Uh, and, and the fighting wasn't as crazy the second year as it was the first. The yeah. first year it was it was slap sh- it was a, 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 a minor version of slap shot. But the yeah. second year was the, the skill level was better. And I mean that league now. I mean everywhere in hockey now is different. There's you know there's no fighters on teams anymore. Maybe a couple here and there. But uh, even in the minor leagues, you got to be able to play the game, and, and you, you can't be just a guy that's going to be out there you know beating people up. Where my first year in Toledo, there were they were players and that was their job. That was their role. I mean, you know, they'd be taping their hands in, in, in the locker room and, and a fight would break out in the warm-up. So it was like, okay, here we go. It's another night in Milwaukee, uh, Kalamazoo, <laughs> or Port Huron. And, right. Um, get on the bus, get, get you $3, uh, you know, three bucks you got for uh, meal money. And you'd, like I said, I think I said in the book, you'd get an RB small burger and a six pack of beer. And that would be the bus ride back to Toledo. Uh. What a life. And I met, like, how old would you have been at that point? Like, 21, 22? Like, I was 22, 23. I just yeah. graduated college. So, 22, yeah. 23, and I was 25 on the Olympic team. So, yeah, I was, yeah, and we had older guys, guys that were married, you know. So, it was, you know, it wasn't a bunch of college kids getting up in the morning, going to class, and then going to practice. And, you know, this was, this was, uh, this was, this was different. But I'm telling you, I, I love Toledo. I love the people there. They treated me like, like a king. I mean, the gold diggers were like the Montreal Canadiens to these people in Toledo. It, right. it, it was a big deal. It, and you'd sell out every game. And, uh, you know, we, my first year there, we won the Turner Cup. So that was, that was an incredible experience. Winning, you know, winning a championship is always great, no matter what league you're playing in. And when I was at Boston University, I fortunate to win, you know, four Hockey East championships, never the national championship. But then my first year out of BU, we win a Turner Cup championship. So, uh, Winning makes any place you are a lot much more enjoyable. Yeah. What was Ted Garvey like to play for? He was a character. It was a show. It was, <laughs> right. it was a Ted Garvin show. I mean, sometimes in practice, Teddy, Teddy sometimes would come, sometimes he wouldn't come. Sometimes he'd, he'd stand on the bench with a bullhorn, you know, telling you to do drills. And, and it was like, again, I'm coming from Jack Parker. Right. Teddy Garvin, and and you know when he, the, the, when he took his teeth out and threw them on the on the on the floor, um, <laughs> you know we weren't playing tough enough. No, nobody's getting stitches. You guys aren't getting in that locker room. And then he takes his teeth out and throws them on the floor, and he says, "I lost these teeth playing junior hockey." And I'm like, hey, "What the hell's this?" <laughs> and then Greg Neal takes his eye out and says, "I lost this in junior hockey," and he oh, was comical, but he was fun to play for. He was. He was fun to play for. You know, that one game I talked in the book where our goalie didn't have a really good first period, but Teddy blamed us, and we played the second and third without a goalie. It was no goalie. We had six guys on the ice, and this is a professional minor league, whatever you want to call it. There were pros playing in the ice. 
and, and he decides to take the goalie. I think we lost 15 to two or something. Guys were shooting from all over the ice to, to, to score goals. And, and again, I'm coming from Jack Parker to this kind of scenario here. But, you know, again, Ted was fun to play for. He made the game fun. Um, and, and, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're busting it all over the place, playing games, you know, every few nights, and it's, it's nice to have a coach who's, who's kind of fun to play for. I mean, right. I don't think I learned a, a lot playing <laughs> under Teddy, but right. I, I learned a lot playing in the in, – I learned a lot playing in the league, you know, playing a 78, right. 80 game schedule and playoffs. And uh, so that was, that was the, the thing that I thought, I think it, it made me a better player. Um, not so much skill wise, because I didn't really think like, again, Teddy taught me anything as far as playing the game of hockey, but just the grind of playing a season like that, you learned and you grew as a player, you matured as a player. Mm-hmm. If Teddy Gar- Garvin did what he did with the goalie now, he would be a, like, Everyone would know, like that would be legendary. It would be people would lose their <laughs> minds over that. If 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 some of the stuff Teddy did today would be legendary, <laughs> <laughs> you know some some you know things that he you know one, one game apparently before I got there he came out in boxing gloves because he wanted he was going to fight the ref. Oh my! Uh, you know he he was a he was a he was an, uh, an animated coach. He was an entertaining coach. Uh, like Barnum and Bailey, you know, I mean, he, Teddy, Teddy had uh, ways to get that crowd going in Toledo boy. He had hit Teddy. He was a very small man. I Teddy, I don't know if he was five, four five, five. And they'd stand behind the bench with his hands on his hips and he'd turn around and he'd start jumping up with his arms and the crowd would start to go crazy. And it was, he was a showman. And it yeah. was, like I said, a, a, fu- a fun guy to play for. Yeah. That's amazing. And, that's what you like. If you're trying to sell the game in Toledo, Ohio, in the IHL, like that, like you can't, you can't be so buttoned down, right? That's that's you got to that's got to be part of the package, right. I would think. If, well, you if know. You, yeah, the team before the before the year before I came there, um, they had a group of players. They were called Murder Incorporated, <laughs> and and they they had some tough. I mean, that's you, you did not want to play Toledo because you might win the game, but you weren't going to win the fight. Right. Um, and they, they had they had a crew guy. They they won. They they won a couple of tournament cups, you know, there with that with that style of play. And he'd have his you know his fighters, and he'd have some skilled players that uh, you know would maneuver around. And he always put together a good team. He always had an eye for what type of players that he wanted uh, in order to win, hmm. whether it was a a fighter or a skill player. So around this age would have been the first time you saw the Russians, right? I imagine that were world championships. Yeah, I played against the Soviets uh, when I was a sophomore and a junior in college in the okay. world championships. Okay, so it would have been right uh, And that's when that. they were just, yeah, that was like 73, uh, 74, 75. Now, yeah. That's when they were still kind of getting recognized because the, the, the Canada Cup, uh, uh, the rendezvous was what was at, uh, no, the Summit Series was 72. 72, yeah. So, so I played against the Soviets, I think it was 74 and 75. Uh, 75, 76. And, you know, again, they were still, you know, getting discovered as how good they were. And, you know, and Karlamov and those guys were still young. They were in their 20s, you know, the, yeah. in those years, the mid 20s. Uh, so I got a sense of uh, how good they were. And, and, and yeah, they, they were awfully good. 
at that point, did you like? Were you, I don't know how much you were following the Summit Series or all that. Like, did you did you know some of the players, or was it like you were in your own world at BU, not worried about that stuff? Like when you saw them the first time. Yeah, and no, I, I I didn't even know much about. It. I was I was in high school. Yeah. I was a senior in high school in 1972. Right. Man, I know who the great players were, uh, but didn't follow it uh, probably like like I would today. Right. Because uh, I I don't remember you know what teeth. I I don't think. You know they they were on TV in in, in Boston. Uh, clearly, it was all all throughout Canada. But I'm not sure if they, you know, NBC or ABC. I don't think was were picking up those games. So you you probably had to have a package, a TV package, probably to watch that. And I don't think we I don't think we had a TV. Yeah, package I'm like sure that the all. United States probably had no. I'm guessing in that time, this country had no clue what that was even going on. Like that was right. not even resonating. You know, we Right. I mean, we probably were watching or reading the paper and see, hey, you know, yeah. the Soviets beat in Canada. Because, you know, that Phil Esposito was playing. They were, you know, they were the Bruins guys on the team. So you'd follow it in the newspaper because those guys were playing. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk to Phil, like he's he's gotten to be close with those guys. Like he'll go, he's gone to Russia a bunch of times, like where he's like a rock star from playing. Like, oh, really? Have you ever, yeah. Have you ever gone over there? Like, have you ever gone? I'm, I'm sure like you would be like. Oh, yeah, I went a long, long time ago with Brad Park and and I think Phil. Okay. Uh, they were promoting a, a, a game, and we went over there only for like three days tops. Uh, yeah. It was it was fun. Yeah, no, I was treated I was treated great. Um, but then again, I think you know today I don't think it would be the same, mainly because the Soviet Union is not the Soviet Union, so it's a, right. It's a very different atmosphere over there now. What was that trip like with Brad and? Phil Esposito. Oh, it was great. Well, they would, you know, I mean, I got to know Phil and Brad very well over the years, uh, uh, you know, charity golf tournaments and run into Phil every once in a while now, uh, see Brad every once in a while, but it was, you know, they're, they're two hall of famers. How, how, how can you not have fun, you know, traveling <laughs> with those guys and the stories they would tell and, uh, and still tell today. Cause again, they, they grew up in that NHL era that, uh, you know, that thank God there was no social media in those years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a, probably a good thing. He he would say he'd go out with players and they they couldn't understand him. But he said after enough vodka, you 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 end up understanding each other pretty well. It's amazing how that works. <laughs> yeah, common language. <laughs> that's, that's right. So what I, what you might have to explain to me? So you're playing in in the IHL and you were still able to retain your eligibility for the Olympics. I, I didn't realize that. Like I, I imagine that. Yeah, because. Well, I, I didn't know either, um, but then we found out I was because I never had an any. I never signed an NHL contract. I, okay. I was, you know, I was almost. Maybe you could even consider me a junior player. I mean, I was paid uh, expenses and you know some some small salary to pay my. You know, I had an apartment. I you know had to, had to buy food and I, I I could get cut at any time. Yeah. Um, NHL contract they couldn't cut you, so I was never signed a pro contract with the Rangers or Colorado or any team like that. I. I was on the contract with the gold diggers and, you know, you get every two weeks you'd get a check. And, uh, like I said, I think my first year there, I made $3,500, which was like about $60 a game. And I had rent that I had to pay. And so I thought I was, you know, a professional and found out I was not because I'd never signed an NHL contract. So I stayed eligible for the Olympic team by being able to do that. Yeah. How, how was that early acclimation process? I mean, you you clearly hated those guys from Minnesota. You talked about that brawl and all that. Like, how was 
How was that early acclimation process, getting to know those guys and trying to put that behind you, know, you when you're, yeah. Yeah, it was it was very easy to do because most okay. of those guys, in the, I think there's only two of them that were on the team when we played them in that, that night in, in, in Denver, and they were, they, were, they were both freshmen. Um, but I, I uh, you know, you, you, you know enough about hockey players. You know, you put your differences aside once you're on the same team. Yeah, and, and a, a team was team was the most important part. And we weren't playing for BU, we weren't playing for Minnesota, or Wisconsin. We were playing for the United States, and I think we we nipped that in the butt right away once the team was picked. Uh, we got to know these guys, got along with them. You know, we didn't hang with them all the time because the Minnesota kid is very very different than the kid growing up in Boston. Right. Um, you know, we, we they were coming home, they were coming home at ten o'clock, and we were going out at ten o'clock. So. <laughs> It was very, very different lifestyles. Uh, but, you know, they're great guys and great, great teammates. And we even kid each other, you know, now about, about it. You know, if I start talking about Boston University, you know, they'll tell me to shut up and don't get regional. And I'll start talking <laughs> about Minnesota and how bad, how bad the Gophers have been the last few years. And yeah. I'll hear it back from them. So it, it, it's a fun, you know, uh, group of guys that, uh, you know, like I said, once once that team was put together, there was there was never any issues at all. How much do you think? You know, the stories that I'm sure you've told a million times, or that we've heard about Herb Brooks, was an attempt by him to, I guess, create a common enemy. You know what I mean? And unite you guys in some way. Oh, that's 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 what he did. That was the intention. And yeah. know, I was with Craig Patrick last week. We were at the Penguins brought Craig Patrick and I to a Penguins game. We dropped the puck at center ice and. Um, you know, had some festivities around the, the Penguins and season ticket holders and fans. And, yeah. uh, you know, Craig t- told the story the same way we, we, we knew it was. It was going to be us against him. And Herb told Craig, I'm going to be the bad guy. They're going to hate me. Uh, but I need someone like you to keep, keep you know, the spirits up. And, and Craig was an important part of our team. Uh, he was, yeah. the, he was the, the, you know, the rallying cry. He was the guy we could go to and say, Craig, look at enough's enough here. And, and, and he, it was, it was us against him. And he, he never wavered from that. Uh, and I've said this before, you know, when we beat the Soviets, he, he never came on the ice and celebrated. And when we beat Finland, he never came on the ice and celebrated. If mm. he did, it would have been like, oh, now you want to be our friend. Now you want to be close to us. And right. I think it was hard for her to coach that way. I think he would have loved to have been close to this team. He would have had a lot of fun with this team. But he, he knew that in order for him to coach this team, he had to separate himself and, and, and be the SOB and be, be the guy that nobody liked. Um, and I've always said, Herb, Herb a lot was like your dad. You know, you love your dad, but sometimes you hate your dad because he makes you do things you don't want to do. Yeah. And, and, and like, you know, Herb didn't care if you liked him, but was important you respected him. And right. there was never a time where we didn't respect him. Hmm. Could you, could you have, I mean, it worked out great, so I don't, it's, you don't want to second guess, but could it have worked with him doing it any other way? You know what I mean? Like, could you... Could he have not? Yeah, that's a, I don't know. That, that, that's a great question. I, I never, I never thought of it that way. How's that? I never, I, I never thought about <laughs> if he had take a normal, you know, coaching yeah. uh, position. Uh, you know, I mean, the Minnesota guys, there were so many of them that they played under him, so they knew his act. You know, they yeah. kind of knew how he coached. It was the, the other handful of us that you know weren't sure where where, where he was going, what he was doing. Uh, but then again, we. You know, I had played under Jack, and Jack was a, a demanding coach. And, um, you know, Mark Johnson played under his father. And, and Badger was a legend, a, a great coach. So <laughs> the, the, the players that we had on the team, 
had played under coaches that were somewhat similar to her um, in some in some ways. So we we understood it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then if, if you try to coach a different way, I don't know. I, I you know that I, I'd like to think we still would have reacted and, and won. Yeah. You don't know. Like he's. He's maxing out. He's, you know, he's he's getting the like. I imagine every last drop of whatever you guys have, right? In that way, right? Uh, it's and it, we, yeah. And, and the, well, in the style and the way he prepared us and coached us, I, I don't know if I gave this statistic to you, but I I just found it out like about a couple of weeks ago. We outscored this. We outscored the opponent sixteen to three in the third period. Mm. I mean, that's an incredible number. And, and that just shows all those Herbies, all that skating. We we wore teams down uh, in the Soviet game, and I, I've only seen it three times. And I just the last time I saw it was a few weeks ago. Um, they only had like eight shots on goal in the last ten minutes of the game, and I, I, four or five of them were from outside the blue line. Hmm. That's amazing. That's an amazing number. Yeah. What yeah. what prompted you to so, watch so it? So I'll, 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 oh, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> Mark Johnson, myself, and Jim Craig did a segment with um, uh, Jeremy Schaap for oh, ESPN. That's great. And we sat in the studio and watched the game and, you know, critiqued it, I guess, in some ways. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm not into watching things in, in, in the past. I, I, know, I know we won and I know the score. <laughs> you know the ending. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't need to sit at home and watch it the Soviet game and all of a sudden have one of my buddies show up and say, what, what are you doing watching that game? It's 40 years ago. Let, you know, let it go. Uh, but, but I am, um, I am when I get home from, from uh, Florida next week, uh, Thursday night, I'm, I'm bringing the high school boys and girls programs to a local restaurant and we're going to watch, uh, the HBO documentary. And then we're going to watch the Soviet game because these kids, these high school kids, they, they've all seen the movie Miracle, but I guarantee none of them have ever seen the game. So it'll be no, fun right. to, to watch the game with them. Um, so I'm, I'm doing that as kind of a fundraiser for my, my foundation that I have. That's awesome. When is that? And I also have, I told you, it's going to be Thursday night. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, great. The 20th. And then, and then I tell you know, I've, I've got my grandkids now, and <clears throat> my daughter has three boys. They're seven, six, and five, and they skate at the Mike Ruzioni Center in my hometown, but they, they still don't know who Mike Ruzioni is. Right. Right. They they, I'm just, I'm just Papa. Well, that's good. <laughs> they know nothing right, about right. me. Yeah. Oh, it, it's great. But I told my daughter, I'm going to, you know, once they figure it out, I'm going to have to watch that miracle movie all the time. Right now I'm watching Thomas, the train, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be like, Papa, let's watch miracle. No, you know, no, we don't have to watch it. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. What did, so when you watched it with Jeremy, what stood out? Like, I would be curious if you've only watched it three times, I imagine you're, you're looking at it differently than I would be looking at it. I was, I was totally, it was blown away with how physical we were Mm. um, playing the body. It it was a lot more physical game than I remember. Uh, There were some really good hits out there. We, we had a lot of guys finishing their checks. Um, And then I think the other thing that caught me by surprise too was, uh, you know, the, the end of the game, the last 10 minutes, uh, you know, we talk about it many times as being the, the longest 10 minutes of our life. Yeah. But the Soviets hardly threatened, hardly threatened. I think one shot hit off the post, but it was off the side post on a deflection. But 
other than that, we really controlled the, the game in the third period. And in the second period, we got dominated a lot in the second period, but I think we took four penalties. And I don't remember that during the game, taking that many penalties. Because I yeah. know Herb talked about staying out of the box. Uh, so part of the reason they had so many chances in that second was, you know, you're, you know, you uh, well, no, you can't keep killing penalties because you're using the same players and then other players aren't getting out there. So that was another thing. And then the last thing that, that dawned on me was we played four lines. Yeah. Uh, we never, we never, you know, we, we, you know, that's how good our depth was. Um, you know, today's NHL, the fourth line is out there once in a while, maybe, maybe a little more than it used to be because the skill level is a lot better on the fourth lines, but we rolled four lines. Yeah. And, not only did we roll four lines, you might play four lines in a minute and 40 seconds. I mean, the shifts, the shifts could have been 10 to 15 seconds and then you were off. Yeah. And, another, and then another wave guy. So I, I, I didn't, you know, I know I was never out there for 45 seconds on a shift. I mean, that just wasn't happening. I mean, you, you, you were in there, you did your job, you, you know, created whatever kind of excitement you could and maybe a scoring opportunity. But uh, the only guy that might've stayed out there a little longer might've been Mark Johnson because he was, Clearly, our best player. I so what I love about having a book like yours is is you get a detail that you you never know, and you talk about shift length. You have to remind me, whoever right before you scored took a 36 35 second shift, got off the ice so you could get on there with fresh legs in the offensive zone. Like that tiny detail kind of gets lost, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I always thank Buzzy all the time for coming off early. Yeah. Like, it's such yeah, an unselfish move right there. Right. Well, we were a very unselfish team. I, I can tell you that right now. We, we, were, we were 20 guys that believed in all 20 guys. And, you know, when, when things got tight, we'd just look down the bench and say, okay, Mark, my magic, uh, it's time for you to get us a goal. <laughs> and he would. That's right. Yeah. When you, so players you... made plays and – sorry – no, I, I was just going to ask because because you, you just watched it. So when you you scored your goal, did did you see anything differently or that you was different from your memory? No, I I I, I see that goal all the time because when <laughs> I speak at sales meetings, I show I show highlights of you know a little video. Yeah. So yeah. no, I, that thing is uh, I can remember that like uh, like it was yesterday, and 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 a funny thing, I I, I and I think Al Mike uh, not Al Michaels Ken Dryden says it during the movie during the game uh we lost when we lost 10 to 3 to the soviets i scored a goal in that game and it was almost the exact same spot exact same play uh except it was treciak in goal and not michigan so dryden says that um Ruzioni who scored a goal a very similar goal to, like this in madison square garden so uh yeah i, I pretty much have that etched in my my, my head did you uh, did you have enough time and I don't know what goes through the mind of a goal scorer and a and a beat like that. But did you have enough time to say, okay, I, I'm I'm gonna this worked in Madison Square Garden. I'm gonna do this again. Or, or do you realize it's a different goalie? Like, no. What's... It, yeah, it, it was the same play, but I never thought about it. And you know, the, the situation in Lake Placid was there was a Perhukin, I think his name was, the defenseman in front of me. Yeah. And I was gonna use him as a screen. Uh, if he came at me and challenged me, Billy Baker and Davey and, and John Harrington were to my left. They were both going to the net. Uh, he stayed and I used him as a screen, pretty much put it where I wanted to, other than I pulled it just a little that I was going across my body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got enough of it. And then I saw the net go back and then I saw the people in the crowd 
jump up behind and I went, Oh, I guess, I guess it went in. <laughs> and then it was a celebration. I can't imagine what that, that barn was like. I like just, it must've been amazing from that on. Well, it, it, it gave us the lead. Um, yeah. And that's how I looked at it until, until the game was over. Then I realized, oh, I had the winning goal. I mean, that's nice. But, uh, you know, if Mark doesn't score the goal that he scores at the end of the first period with one second left on the clock, uh, if Kenny Morrow doesn't play the way he was playing and blocking shots and keeping the game very simple for us, then Davy Chris, I mean, I can go on and on. Yeah, Davy Chris yeah. is the fourth line doing what they did. And, um, you know, we, we, we had some awfully good, we had some awfully good players, um, better than people thought. And, and, and Herb put a system together and with the conditioning that we had and the skating skill and the speed that we had, um, I guess I can, you know, look at this more and realize that, uh, you know, we, 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 we put together a pretty good group of players. And as Craig Patrick said, uh, after the Olympic games that our team, meaning us, he said, they deserved this team deserved everything that they got. And, and I believe that. Yeah. Um, I, I was interested to see, you, you felt like the Russians were almost relieved in the handshake line, which is fascinating. Like it's a whole psychology thing of what they were dealing with. I'm, I can't like. Yeah. I, I think they were surprised at, you know, watching us celebrate because, you know, they never celebrate when they win. Um, you know, they score a goal and they go back to center ice, you know, there's yeah. no jumping around. There's no emotion. There's, so I, I think it was like, Oh my God, look, I guess, I guess you can have fun playing this game. <laughs> yeah. Have you talked to those guys at all? Do you ever interact with, some no, no, but okay. uh, some of my teammates played with them. I think Rammer and yeah. David Christian and Neil might have played with some of them. Uh, but they, they told me they never talked about it. They never brought it up. It was like it never happened. I, I told I told Rammer I'd, I'd bring my medal to practice. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. I would have it. I would, it would come up every day. Um, so the last thing, Mike, what I'm fascinated about how you, your decision post game to me like you basically were like you know you made it clear like you didn't want this moment to define your life you you didn't want but you also made a decision about the nhl like what went into your kind of post process career thought you know what, what was your yeah, thought there I, I well i think you know i got a taste and when i went to camp with the rangers uh it was very frustrating i never thought that i clearly got a good opportunity uh, to play at that level. And now all, all of a sudden after Olympics, I was going to get this golden chance to play. Yeah. And I just felt it was time to move on. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, again, I'm not a kid from Canada whose dream in life was to play you know, in the NHL. I mean, when, when I was playing, I wanted to go to college. And when I got to BU, then it kind of dawned on me, I maybe have a chance to play at the next level. But right. it wasn't something that was, you know, a dream of mine. Probably my dream was maybe to play pro baseball. Uh, but mm. I think, you know, after the Olympic games, I, you know, I had some offers and it's not like today, nobody said here's 10 million, but you know, the, the, the Rangers, Buffalo, Minnesota, um, I think it was even Hartford, uh, cause I, I was drafted in the second round by the Whalers, yeah. uh, but I just made a decision that it was time to move on and do something else. And I was going to coach and teach. I didn't know. Uh, and we did as a team didn't know that this moment was as big as it was. Right. So for me, I was just going to, you know, I was just going to move on and, uh, you know, talk to Jack Parker about being an assistant coach. And next thing I know, I got offers to do this and offers to do that. And I started to do some television. I worked, I worked the Olympic games for five or six Olympics and that was kind of fun. And, um, then kind of settled down. I've I've been at Boston university for the last 26 years, 27 years, I think. 
um, as almost an ambassador in some ways to the university. I do a variety of things there. And I, you know, I still do a lot of public speaking, motivational speaking. Um, get, to get invited sometimes to play in some nice fun golf tournaments. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all been good. I, again, I, I don't think you have to play in the National Hockey League to define who you are and the type of person that you are. You know, some players, it's important to do that. And others, um, like, you know, in my case, it wasn't, uh, you know, the end, you know, the, the end of all I had to go there. Um, if we had lost, I probably would have played. Yeah. Um, but after, after winning the whole thing, I kind of just took a step back and I even thought about going to Europe. I thought it would be fun to maybe to go over to Italy and play over in Italy. Uh, but then I thought, no, you know what, let's just, let's just go, let's go on Monday nights with the bear guys and I'll skate with them. That's great. That's great. What have you found most kind of rewarding about the post, the, the life after? I think the people I've met, the places I've been, um, you know, I've been fortunate and blessed to meet uh, some of the greatest athletes in the world, not you know, mm-hmm. some hockey players. And I've, I've met all the great hockey players and some of them have become very good friends of mine. Um, I, I've been to every state in the United States, but Alaska, and that's my own fault because I, uh, I've been invited and haven't been able to get there. But I, you know, I've met presidents of the United States. I played golf with President Trump last year. Um, I've been in the White House a couple of times, and I've met just great, great people, pilots, you know, uh, you know uh, owners of restaurants, places that I've eaten at, uh, yeah. uh, hotels that I stayed in. People, you know, I, I meet people constantly, and, and they, they sometimes know who I am, sometimes they don't, but that's irrelevant to me. Um, but when you meet people who know who you are, they, they all have a smile on their face. They want to shake right. your hand, and they, they want to tell you where they were when, when we won because they remember it. So, I mean, I've been blessed and fortunate to have, you know, had that kind of a life. Uh, you know, I still live in my hometown. I haven't changed anything. I'm, you know, my, my, my wife, I've been with her since she was a senior in high school. My, I have three great kids. I got five beautiful grandkids. I live next door to the house I grew up in. Uh, my friends I play golf with, you know, that I've known for 60 years, some of these guys that, that have been friends. And uh, it, it hasn't changed it hasn't changed me. It, it's clearly changed my life to some degree. I mean, financially things are fine. I, I own a beautiful home and I, I'm able to put some money away from my kids, uh, you know, when, when, when I'm long gone. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's been a, a blessing and something I'm fortunate to, to have had happen. But the, the important thing, like I said, again, back to the book was my life yeah. wasn't just two weeks in late class. And I want people to know that. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Mike, thanks for doing this. It was, it was great. Oh, no problem. Thank you. I want to thank Mike for joining the podcast. It's a busy time. I mean, everybody wants a few minutes with Mike right now as as we celebrate the 40-year anniversary of quite possibly, at least in the United States, the the biggest moment in sports history. Like that's it's been celebrated as one of the greatest moments of all time in sports and it's 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 cool to get that time and get some of that backstory and get that perspective from somebody right in the middle of it, um, contributing to it all. So thanks again, Mike, for doing that. Thanks to Neil and producer Tyler for setting that up and getting us the uh, the time to have that conversation. Um, and before we wrap up, I would just encourage you, um, really just need one or two of you, if you have a second and you like this podcast, to go to Apple Podcasts and give a quick review. It takes 10 seconds and helps out a ton. So if you have time to do that, that would be greatly beneficial to me and I would really appreciate it. 
Um, and also, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, I always encourage people to go to theathletic.com slash full 60 to get 40% off. I just want you to make sure you guys get the discount if you're not subscribing. So go to theathletic.com slash full 60 to get 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Mike, again for being a part of the podcast and have a great week.